seated, please. Aren't you glad to be here this morning? Let's give our God a hand, huh? What a great God we serve. We, uh, we're thrilled that you're here today. Welcome to Crossroads. The mission of our church is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and God is doing that. Many people are coming in, and we're seeing uh, lives are being transformed all over the church, and we're just excited about what he's doing. Uh, just, a, just a few announcements today. First of all, if you'd please pass the friendship folders. That will greatly help us as we seek to minister to you and your family. And uh, just a few things coming up. You'll notice that uh, in the back of the auditorium, we have a table set up there. It has the smiley face balloons, and that's for our June Jamboree. That will be coming up on Friday, June the 16th at 6 o'clock here on the lawn. We're going to have our band out there. We're, we're getting that stage that we had last year out there. There will be a, games everywhere. We'll have a, a movie night. Uh, that will be one of our movie nights out there. So we're excited about what's going to happen on that night, but we need people to help us serve. Uh, if you'll come out and, and be on our team, serving team, uh, please stop by the table in the back today and sign up, and somebody will help you find a place to serve. Uh, if, you can, uh, if you can just be kind to people, you can help with the uh, kids' games, yard games, all, all kind of fun stuff, but uh, there's so much that uh, more details will be coming out, but it's going to be a great time. One of the things that made our helicopter egg drop such a huge success was that we had more than 50 people serving. And man, that just made hospitality, made people know that they were welcome here. It was organized. It was a wonderful thing. So I'm going to ask you to jump in. If you can help park cars, if you can help hand a hot dog out, I don't know. They've got all kinds of things out there. So if you can help, please uh, stop by the table and sign up. And they will, they will give you a yellow shirt and you'll be fun. You'll have a good time. You'll be a part of the team out there. And uh, they'll give you more details. Then just a few other announcements. Coming up on May 21st, we're going to have a, a baby dedication here at the church. Uh, we have a number of babies that have been born recently. And, uh, and so we're going to just have a time of dedicating our children to the Lord. And what we do there is we actually dedicate the parents to the Lord, all right? Because uh, our babies are coming. And uh, as God just keeps blessing the church, and we see so many babies coming in, uh, it's been wonderful. And we're just so blessed by what God is doing. But... We want to say thank you to the Lord. So as the parents come and we dedicate the babies, we dedicate the parents to serve them to know the Lord. So we're excited about that. That's coming up on May 21st. And then on May 27th, there's a, there's a walk for the homeless. I want to encourage you to stop out there at the, uh, the Welcome Center, sign up to be a part of that. Roger Metcalf is going to be our team leader, and uh, that's always a fun time. You, you basically, you're, you, you go out and you can get a few sponsors, put on your Facebook page or whatever, ask a few people to sponsor you, and, uh, and you go and you do this walk for the homeless. And I know last year, I think we had 10 or 12 people won. It was a great time. And I was supposed to be there, but I had, ended up having a funeral to do. So my plan is to be there again, all right, barring any thing like that would show up, all right? So, but uh, we, we have a lot of exciting things happening. Sign up for that. And, uh, and we're, we're just so thankful. On the outside of the auditorium, you'll see there's a table out there. It's called Pushing the Envelope. Our kids are going off to summer camp this summer. And, uh, and it's not just like the old days of camp. I mean, it's camp on steroids is what it is. It's, it's just so much fun. They're going to be going down to, uh, I, I think it's down in Tennessee, and uh, it will be a, an incredible week for our kids. I think it's four or $500 for the kids to go. So there are envelopes out there. It's called Pushing the Envelope Campaign. If you take an envelope and uh, you say, well, I'd like to give to that. So you can take any envelope. But the envelopes are numbered from one all the way up to 200, I think. 
and, uh, and you, can, you can sponsor a child. So if you want to help with $2, you want to help with $25 or, or $125 or $200, whatever. You, you can take that envelope and you just take and, and put your gift in there, put it in the offering plate or in the, or in the, uh, the offering boxes on the wall, uh, and then uh, that will get to sponsor the child. So the information's back there, and we want to encourage you to be a part of that if you're able to give, if you would like to give. So this time we'd like to call our ushers forward. And as they're coming, I want to, to ask you to remember Val Hamilton in prayer, her family, uh, as she lost her daughter last week, uh, 38 years old. Her daughter, um, uh, Valerie's daughter, Amanda Hamilton, went on to be with the Lord. It was very sudden, and so it was a very hard time for their family. And as you can imagine, there's a, just a lot there. So I'm just going to ask you if we could remember them as a church family and pray for the Hamilton family as they're going through this time of loss. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you, Lord, and I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for the way that you love us, that you care about us, and the way that you have uh, just been moving mightily in our church. We're just seeing your hand at work. We're seeing people, their lives are getting transformed. You're transforming us. And I thank you that you're doing it through the power of your word, through the power of Christ. And so, Lord, today as we honor you in giving, we just thank you for this great opportunity to give to you, to bless your name, to, to say thank you, Lord, for all that you are. And God, I pray for our church family at large, Lord. I, I think of Valerie Hamilton this morning. We lift her up to you, Lord, and uh, just on the loss of Amanda and uh, just for their entire family, I just ask that you will minister to them and, Lord, help us as a church to minister to them and uh, provide ways and, and help us to come alongside, Lord, and uh, help us to meet needs in any way that we can. God, we ask that you would be honored and glorified through, your give, through the giving of your people now. In your name we pray. Amen. Say 
talking about in our series, the, uh, the power to love like Jesus. Uh, that, that's exactly where it comes from. You, you can't love like Jesus on your own. You can't do it in your own power. But Jesus did give you a mission. He gave you a mission to go out and transform communities, to go out and see people's lives changed, to make disciples who will make disciples. And that's the mission of the church. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. Uh, God didn't just leave us so that we could just have our nice little holy gatherings and we feel good about it. He left us so that we could go out and do his work, uh, so that we could go out and transform a world. And, and so that, that power comes from Jesus. And it was the very same power that rose Jesus from the grave is the same power that lives in you. And if we could just start there, if we could say, man, if I, if I could start from that point and live my life with the power that rose Jesus from the grave living in me, giving me power to do what he wants me to do, your life will be radically different. You will see your job differently. You will see your family differently. You will see everybody different because you see now that God not only told you what to do, he's given you the power to do it. And that is what just lights my fire, that God has given you power, and it was the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. So we started off uh, three weeks ago on our series here, To Love Like Jesus, and uh, in, in which, by the way, next Sunday is Mother's Day, folks. So we're, we're going to have some fun with moms next week. But uh, th- this will be our last Sunday on Love Like Jesus. But we started off three weeks ago. We said that, uh, that Jesus prayed on the cross. He prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And we talked about forgiveness. And if we're going to learn to love like Jesus, we have to learn how to forgive like Jesus. And that's a, ta- that's a tough 
tough area to, to grow in, a tough area to learn in. But when we do grow in that area, our lives are transformed. And then last week, we looked at how Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And as we saw Jesus washing the disciples' feet, we saw that he, he cared. Uh, he found a need, and he met that need. So today, I want to pick up in John chapter 13. We're going to go to verse 21, and that's where we're going to pick up. Last week, we were at the first half of John chapter 13, and we saw how that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. So here, here's the setting. We're, uh, the, it, this is just a few days removed from Palm Sunday, and we are just another day before the cross. So they're gathering together, and they don't know what's coming. The, the disciples don't have a clue what's coming. Jesus does. Jesus knows what's coming. He knows that the cross is there. He knows what he has to endure to get through to the resurrection. Um, but the disciples don't have any clue. The energy is high. The energy is like, wow, we just had this big thing. Uh, the, the disciples are, are, are expecting him to be the king. And that we're going to be in his, in his kingdom. We're, who's going to be greatest? And, and all that discussion was taking place. Then he washes their feet. He sees a need. And we said that, uh, you know, that was just customary. It'd be like if you came to my house today, I would customarily ask you for your coat, and I would ask you if you would like a drink of water. So in those days, Jesus, came, uh, Jesus had, the, had the meal, and uh, it was customary for the master of the house to say, you know, would you like your feet washed? Uh, uh, can I take your cloak? Can I take your, can I help you? Thank you. We're glad you're here. And can I wash your feet? And so uh, Jesus, though, he's the one who washed the feet. What, he, what the master would do, the master was, if you said, yes, I'd like a foot washing, he would call a slave, and a slave would come over and wash your feet. No good master would ever wash anybody's feet. He would, it was a sign of his power, and that was the position of a slave. So what does Jesus do? Jesus comes over, and he washes the feet. He gets in the position of a slave. Now, today, I want to pick up in John chapter 13, love like Jesus. And as we wrap up today, I want you to think about your life and how that you can really love like Jesus John 13, beginning verse 21, when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, remember, they're not thinking about anybody being betrayed. It's not in their mind that this betrayal is going to happen. We celebrate Easter every year. We go through the, through the timeline. We know that there's Palm Sunday, and there's Good Friday, and then there's the, the Easter Sunday, the resurrected Sunday day. But uh, most assuredly, I said to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples, verse 22, then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom loved Jesus. So, so the disciples, they're sitting there, and they're saying, man, what's he talking about? Who's going to betray? Jesus is going to be the king, and now one of us is going to betray? They're perplexed. I mean, the, the word's right there. They're perplexed about whom he spoke. And so here it says that Jesus, John is the, John is the author here, and John is, uh, he's giving us an eyewitness account. So John will often write himself in the disciple whom Jesus loved, or the beloved disciple. So here we see him again. Uh, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples. You know, we quite often think of the, the Last Supper according to Leonardo da Vinci's picture, right? That uh, where, 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 the, where Jesus is at the center and it's this long line. It looks really good in our plays and programs, doesn't it? But that really wasn't it. It was more like a U-shape. 
And so if you have like this U-shape uh, gathering, and, and they weren't even sitting at chairs. They were really like reclining up against the table. So the table's lower to the ground, and they were kind of reclining. And what they would do is they would, they would lean forward and, and on the left. So they would lean forward on the, the left elbow, and their right hand was free to eat. So they would be reclining. And when it says that there was one, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples. John was leaning on, on Jesus' chest, on, on, his, on his belly area. He's, he's like leaning forward because they're eating together. It's like this, this, this close-knit gathering. And so here's Jesus here, and, and, his, and John's there. And uh, in verse 24, Simon Peter then motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. So, Simon, so here's Jesus, here's John, and then here's Simon Peter. And they're all like this. And it's just kind of this real close fellowship time, and it was part of their culture. Part of the way that they would do a, a Passover meal. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? So, so just imagine John, they're, they're, they're like this, and, and John looks up and says, Lord, who is it? Who is it that's going to deny you? We're, we're, we're at a loss for this. What, what are you talking about? Look what Jesus says there. Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, now here's what would happen. As part of the Passover meal, uh, it was very common for them to take a piece of bread and dip it in, the, in like a sauce. It was like a, a sauce of a fruit, all right? So they would, they would take and they would dip it. And it was part of the Passover meal. So this was not anything uncommon. And the master would commonly take it. And when, he, when the master would dip, he would give it to somebody of special attention. And so what, on the other side of Jesus, so here's Jesus, here's John, here's Peter, and on the left side of Jesus is Judas. On the left was quite often, according to cultural terms, was where you would put the place, where you put a guest of honor. I don't know, the scripture doesn't tell us that, uh, that he was a guest of honor, but we know that he was in that position. We don't know that Jesus placed him there, or maybe they fought to be in that, in that place. And no doubt Judas probably wanted to be in that place because he thought that, you know, he was better than everybody at that point. And so here he is, he's, he's sitting next to Jesus, and Jesus is reclining, and Jesus takes it, and he dips the, dips the bread, and he hands it over to Judas. Verse 27, now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. Here's Jesus. He, he's had this whole experience. He, he's, he's, it's an incredible moment for him. And he takes it. And so John's over. He says, it's the guy when I dip this and I give it. That's the one. But notice what happened in verse 28. It says, but no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. Nobody knew why he said to them, what you must do, do quickly. So, so catch this. The 12 disciples, they've been together for about three years. This was the band of brothers. They're ministering. They're doing all this work. And, uh, and, and they did not catch that somebody's really going to betray Jesus. Now, Judas caught it. Judas knew. And Jesus knew what Judas was about to do. But yet, he still allowed him to be at that place of honor. He still served him. He still did all these things for him. 
For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus said to him, buy those things that we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Some people thought, uh, some of the disciples thought, well, he's going out to pay for the meal. Uh, this, this was a grand meal. He's going out and he's going to pay for it. Or maybe he's going to give some, some money to the poor to help the poor people. But having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately and it was night. So Judas the treasurer goes out and he leaves. And, uh, and so here we are. I want you to understand something. Despite the fact that Jesus knew he has 12 followers, these 12 men are going to change the world. So he's made an investment in the ministry. His ministry was not to create a, a, a big church. He didn't even make a church. I mean, obviously, he, had, he created a movement called The Church. But there was no first church of Jesus in Nazareth, okay? There was no place where he stood up and preached every Sunday. He created a movement that would change the world. And he did it with 12 guys. He took 12 guys and he poured his life into these 12 guys who would in turn 12, turn around and turn their life into, into two or three guys. And they would turn around and put their life into two or three guys. And we see this whole multiplication movement all the way 2,000 years later. Here we are. And out of Jesus' 12, one of these guys is a traitor. Don't feel so bad, right? Uh, you, you, ever, you ever trust somebody and you get betrayed? Jesus had that. You know, oftentimes people ask me about how we're making disciples, and I'm super excited, and they'll say, well, what about so-and-so that didn't make it? I said, well, Jesus had a few that didn't make it, right? Jesus had one that didn't make it. It was Judas. And so Judas, Judas didn't make it. Judas didn't finish the, the leg, leg of the journey. He goes out, and he is now betraying Christ. And so he, he, he receives the piece of the bread, and then he went out and immediately, and it's nighttime. So here's Jesus, and, and I understand this. Not only did he know that he was a betrayer, but he invites him to the meal. Now, if I knew that somebody was going to betray me, if I knew somebody is my enemy, are you going to invite them to dinner? Just think about that. Are you going to invite your enemy to dinner? The, the guy who's out to get you, are you going to invite them to dinner? So Jesus invites him to dinner, phase one. That's something I probably wouldn't do, all right? Invite your enemy to dinner. Number two, he sits him at the seat of honor. He allows him to sit at this position. Culturally, in, within that culture, they understood that's where that person of honor sits, an honored guest. So he allows him to sit it there. Strike number two. Strike number three, he washes the man's feet. He knows that he's going to go out after this dinner, and he's going to, he's going to betray him, and he washes his feet. Now, I want you to think about that. Would you wash the foot of somebody that you know is going to betray you? I was telling that me and Jim Watts were talking about this the other day. I said, you know what? If that were me, I would probably take in the man's foot and broken it, wouldn't you? You know, it's like, I'll show you. All right? I, there was a plan. God had a plan here. And, and Jesus had to be betrayed, but Judas didn't have to be the one that was the betrayer. You see, Judas chose this. Judas chose to be the betrayer. Uh, he looked good on the outside, but on the inside, terrible things were happening. He was far from being a true follower of Christ. And Jesus knows this. Jesus understands this, and Jesus says, I'm going to serve you, even though I know you're going to go out and you're going to, uh, you're going to betray me, and I'm going to go to the cross. Even though he knows all of that, he has now gone out, and, uh, and he still loves him. I want you to think about that because the very next set of verses, you're going to find some verses here that you have probably heard but never saw them in the context of Judas, the betrayer. When I look at that, I've read about the Lord's Supper 
And I thought, man, what a great thing that at the final supper, he, he breaks the bread and he gives the juice and, and we do this in remembrance. And, and I thought about all the, the, the last moments, but here in the last moments that he has with his disciples... He's still loving Judas, and he doesn't treat him without, with any difference. He doesn't come along. You know, if, if that were me and Judas were, were part of my team, uh, probably whenever I got, uh, you know, Judas would be sitting near me, I'd be like turning all pale. I'd be like getting all white as a ghost. I'd be knowing, okay, something is not right here. And you would be able to tell by my demeanor that there's something wrong here, and you'd be like, Ken, what do we got to do? You're not yourself. What's going on? And you would be able to figure it out. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus knew that the plan of God, that he had to be betrayed. And he knew that Judas was going to be the one to do it. And yet he still loves him till the end, as he said in John chapter 13. The first verse of John 13, he loved them till the end. That's the love of Jesus. So, verse 31, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. So, so what he says here, he says that this cross that he's about to bear is to glorify God. That God will be glorified, even though everybody's going to look at it as the ultimate sign of humility, the ultimate sign of uh, being treated poorly, humiliation. Here's Jesus, and he says, the Father will be glorified. And the disciples, they're not catching this. They're just not catching it. Uh, the Father will be glorified. And, 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 and listen, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for your sin. He came back to life again. This was the mission. This is why Jesus came to the earth. It was, he didn't come to the earth so we could have nice Christmas pageants. He didn't come to the earth so that we can hear about all these wonderful miracles, although those are all part of the story. He came to the earth so that he could die on the cross to pay for your sin so that he could come back to life and, and set you free. So when Jesus, Jesus is going through this, he says that the Father will be glorified. And then he says here, he says, Little children, I'll be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, as I said to the Jews. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you. I, I, think about this. He, he's with his, with his group of guys that have been following me. He's like, now little kids. <laughs> You just don't get it, do you? I, I could just see certain people's personality coming through, like Wally Knoll, if you know Wally Knoll. I, you know, I could just see Wally Knoll doing that. You know? <laughs> little children, you know, to his adult children. Little children. Um, and, and that's what Jesus did. Jesus is like, little children, you, you're just not there. You're not, I'm about ready to go to the cross, and you still haven't caught this yet. And where I'm going, you cannot come. And, and, and I said it to the Jewish, relators, Jewish religious leaders, and now I'm saying it to you. you. You're not understanding this. And now verse 34 and 35 are verses that you have probably heard but never connected them to how he loved Judas. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. And I think we would stop right there, love one another. We would probably have known that from Jesus' teaching, to love one another. But he takes it a step further. Would you read it with me? How should we love one another? As I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. How did Jesus love them? 
Here was Judas. He loved him till the end. Here was Judas going to go out and betray him, and he loves him till the very end. He says, love one another as I have loved you, that you also may love one another. And then he goes, he takes it a step further, verse 35. By this will all men know, by this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Now, he doesn't say, all men will know that you're my disciples by your knowledge of the Bible. Every good Jew had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized for memory. He doesn't say that they will know that you're my disciples by how good you are. If you keep the law, he says, they'll know that you're my disciples if you have loved one for another, if you love as I have loved. He was saying this is a characteristic. Uh, you know, it, it, this affects your business. This affects your family. This affects your church. This affects everything that you're involved in. And he says, you, if, if you are part of me, they will know because I'm your father. They will know because, I, because you're, you're part of my family, all right? And he says... It's by your love. That's how they will know. Not by how good you are or what you think you know or don't know. He says it's by your love. In our family, there's characteristics of the Barner family. They're commonly known as Barnerisms, right? And uh, if, if you, you've got, you get to be the privileged ones to be in my family, in my household, there's Barnerisms, right? There's things that you know that, that make us Barners. And, um, and, and it's really a joy. It's a real privilege to have some of those idiosyncrasies, right? And if I go to each one of your families, I can tell what it is, what are the isms of your family and what makes your family tick and what makes your family operate. There's just things that we do, ways that we act, things that we look. And Jesus says, the Jesusism. If you're mine, you're going to love each other. And you're going to love each other like I love you. Whoa. That is night and day difference. That is so different because he glorifies the Father. He comes and it's through his love. He goes to the cross. He dies on the cross, pays for your sin. But yet he says for you to love as he is loved. Now Paul's given us a, a few thoughts on love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You may have heard this at a wedding. You go to a wedding and quite often you hear people read this and it just becomes some mundane part of a wedding almost. It's sad to hear that, but sometimes people just kind of go through the motion. But this morning, let's not go through the motion of, of 1 Corinthians 13. Let's, let's lean in and listen because Jesus says, I want you to love like I have loved. What does that mean? How, how do we love like he has loved? So the apostle Paul over in 1 Corinthians 13, he's given us a definition of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And I, I want us to think about that because Jesus said, this is how I want you to love. Love like I love. Now, Paul's given us a, a little thought here on love. He says, this is what love is. 
He's getting, we're going to look at what love is, what love is not, and then what love does. Two things to love is. Love is patient and love is kind. Now, this is not how we normally think of love, is it? You know, I don't go home and tell my wife, hey, honey, I'm so patient, baby. You know, I love you because I'm patient with you, you know. Um, we don't think in those terms, right? But let, let's think, why did he say patient and why did he say kind? One is passive and one is active. I think we kind of understand kindness a little bit, but do we understand this whole patience? So patience means not, uh, patience means being able to wait, right? We understand that. If we're going we're gonna to be patient, it's able to wait. There was a guy who learned who learned uh, that he was not very patient. His name was uh, Usain Bolt. And Usain Bolt, anybody ever heard of that guy? One of the fastest runners, right? Okay, Usain Bolt has gone out, and, uh, and he holds the record, I think it was for the 100 and the 200 meter. Uh, incredible runner from, uh, from Jamaica. And so I want you to watch this in 2011, uh, how that he learned about patience here. As he's come here to these championships, the shout from Usain Bolt as he tries to just psych himself up for one last time and maybe get a little bit of a psychological advantage over his principal opponents. There's Christophe Lemaitre in lane eight, the Frenchman. Walter Dix right alongside Usain Bolt. Such a tall man, almost has to uncoil himself from the start position, but you heard Michael Johnson saying he's getting that start absolutely right. I think Usain Bolt's false started. No. I can't believe it. I think Usain Bolt almost unthinkably. I was talking about the I was talking about the fact that he got his start absolutely right. Has he false started? The reaction of Bolt suggests that that most emphatically is the case. He knows it's him. He took his top straight off. He's looking to the heavens there. Oh, I can't believe it. For the neutral of us here, now this is an open race because with him out of the picture, is it Bolt? Let's see. Yes, clearly he goes. We have seen so many full starts in this championships already, and it's only day two. Well, I can hardly believe what I'm seeing. It'll take them a second or two to reach. He's down. He's ready to go, and this is the moment he has to wait for the gun to go off. And so, so he, he's anxious, man. He, he's, he's very talented. He's one of the most talented guys out there, right? I mean, just look at the records that this man holds. And he jumps. He has a false start. And you see, that's what patience is. Patience is the art of knowing how to wait. Patience. How am I patient in love? Well, here's, here's how you're impatient. When I come and say, well, I just had to tell them how I felt. I just had to let them know that they were wrong. Did you ever do that in a marriage relationship, you know? Did you ever do that in any relationship? I just had to tell them. And, you know, here, here's what happens. We have to manipulate. Sometimes we have to manipulate situations so that people will serve us or so that things will happen the way that we want them to. Let me share with you, Jesus was patient all the way to the cross. He went all the way to the cross. And number two, not only is he patient, the Bible says that he is slow to anger. His, his love for you is patient. He loves you. He is, not, he is not saying, hey, you better do this right now or else. He went to the cross for that. 
And when he went to the cross, he paid for your sin, and he is patient waiting for you. He is, now, now, that's an, an interesting concept of love, that God is patient, that he is slow to anger, and that he is waiting for you. And what happens is whenever you turn to him, whenever you say, okay, now, Lord, I'm part, I want to be part of your program, what he does, you experience his kindness. His love is patient. His love is kind. And if we can think about love in, the, in those terms, uh, kindness is this. Kindness is an abundance that meets a need. It's an abundance that meets a need. If you come alongside somebody, you see somebody that's down and depressed. There's a kindness that meets a need there, okay? Uh, you can come alongside. Somebody is down. They're discouraged. And you come alongside them, and you just speak to them and say, man, I see what God is doing in your life. I see that you're a child of God. Uh, you can speak to them. You know, I, I understand that the women on the retreat, they had a really good time. And, and I heard that they brought out the, the, the people who were serving them. Uh, they were making the meals for them throughout their weekend. And they brought these women, uh, they brought these folks out that were serving them, and they applauded them. And I guess one of the ladies was crying and said, nobody's ever said these things to us. Nobody has ever appreciated us. Do you see what they did? They were kind, out of abundance. They came and they gave, and they cared for these people. And these people were are overwhelmed by it. That's what we get to do. You can do that with financial things. You can do that with physical things. Uh, you, you come along, you can help people from abundance. But may I help you understand this? This is the gospel right here. That Jesus loves you right where you are, and he is patient. He will never force himself on you, never. Some of you, maybe you have been fighting this all your life, and you're saying, man, I just want to, uh, all right, listen, God says, I'm not forcing myself on you. As a matter of fact, he gives the imagery of I stand at the door and knock. He's on the outside. He's knocking, and you're the one. You open that up to God, and you let him in. He transforms your life. And it's through his kindness that he transforms it. Do we love patient and kind? Here's what love is not. Love is not envy. Envy is like, you know, there, there's coveting. Coveting is when I see something that my neighbor has and I want. Jealousy is, you know, like my time. My wife is jealous of my time, so she wants more of my time. Envy is I see something that my neighbor has, and I'm so mad that they're getting ahead. I'm so angry that they are being blessed. I'm so angry that they're going forward, and I am boiling over inside. It's like a tea kettle. For some of you, you don't know what that is. I know you're used to a button, right? It's a Keurig. You hit a button today, right? But a tea kettle. You took, we used to take a tea kettle and you put it over the, over the stove, right? There was actually a flame. You put water in there and that water would boil and boil and boil. And then pretty soon you'd hear the, all right, you'd hear, you'd hear that whistle go off as you knew that the water was boiling. And that's what happens in envy. We look at somebody else that is succeeding or getting ahead and we say, I just... I should be getting ahead. And we, just, and we just start to boil. And what it does is it destroys us. And the Apostle Paul here says that love does not envy. Love does. As a matter of fact, you know what love does? Love rejoices when somebody gets ahead. Even if, even if they took your, your promotion at work. Saying, man, that's not spiritual, is it? I'm telling you, that's spiritual. You applied for a job and didn't get it. And the person that you think shouldn't get it got it. You see, that's when envy comes in. Uh, how many times have I heard people say, well, uh, you know, I've been praying that God would break your leg. 
you know? Did you ever hear somebody pray stuff like that? I've been praying bad things for you. God is not going to respond to those type of prayers. Because he went to the cross to pay for your sin. And, and so he says, love is not about envy. Love is not boastful. Uh, you know, boastfulness is, we, we think of somebody who brags. Uh, boastfulness, it, you know, love is not somebody who's boasting, you know, boasting about how good I am. You know, I don't go home to my wife and say, well, honey, you should be so happy you're married to me today. I am God's gift to this marriage, I know, you know. Uh, no, she'll give me two reasons, three reasons, ten reasons why that's a, not a true statement, right? So, so boastful. But here's what happens. Boastfulness is whenever we put ourselves at the center of the story. God is at the center of the story, not you. And so when I'm loving, if I'm learning how to love in the community, love in the church, love in our family, it's not with me at the center. And how many times do we love with something, we're expecting something back? How many times do I love and expect some sort of uh, reciprocation? And so boastfulness is not about me getting anything. It's not about my agenda. And here's what happens. We come to love so many times with my agenda. Jesus washed the, the disciples' feet. He's there. He's treated Judas with respect like everybody else. And Jesus knew that he wasn't the center of the story. It was what God wanted it wasn't, it wasn't me feeling good. That, that wasn't what was driving him. So love is not boastful. Pride. You know, pride, we tend to puff up. That's another word that's translated for pride, puffed up. And when you think about that, you, you know, we, we have the, the trunk and treat, and you see some of these kids come up here, and they have those inflatable outfits, you know? You ever see them? I know I've seen a few of them. They put on, they're like a sumo wrestler, and they're just, you know, they're all this gigantic inflated. That's what happens. Pride, we, we just inflate ourselves. And we inflate ourselves so big that we're, trying, that we're trying to make people think that we're something that we're not. And then at the end of the day, you've lost everything because you're not even who you thought you were. See, it's pride. Pride just overwhelms. Didn't I do good? Shouldn't I do good? Didn't I da-da-da-da? And it's like, oh, man, my, my head is swollen. And, and, and you can't be prideful if you're not the center of the picture because God, this is God's story. How about disrespect to dishonor or disrespect um, you know, that's a real hard one because when somebody hurts us, we want to immediately go back at them. We want them to feel it. We want them to feel the pain. Jesus was feeling the pain. He's going to the cross. This guy, he's washing his feet, and this guy is the, the very feet they are going to run out the door and betray him. Self-seeking. It's not about me. It's not, it's not your, again, your story. It's, not, it's, it's his story. It's, it's God's story. You are not the centerpiece of the story. God has you as a piece of his story. And if you can operate and love your family, love in the church, love in the community, understanding that God's story is different than your story, man, that's how we love. So love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Sounds like a Father's Day message there, doesn't it? Uh, we, men, we deal with anger a lot. I mean, it's like, man, we, we can go off the handle easily. But that word anger, it, it actually comes from the idea of sharpening a knife. And, and here's what happens. We, we, we take the knife and, and we go up against the sharpener and we say, okay, that person hurt me. And this is anger right here. We just take that knife down. And we're sharpening it. We come back to the point. We say, okay, I'm going to let them know how they hurt me. I'm going to send them that email at midnight. Yeah. They're going to know how I feel. 
And we, and we go down and we keep sharpening the knife. And so it's, it's not easily angered. See, when I'm loving somebody, I have got to be able to see beyond my need. How about scorekeeping? You ever get around people in a marriage and they tell you, man, uh, yeah, that, uh, that, that, that this is our idea of success. My husband does this and my wife does this, right? And we go through and we have all these things. That's called scorekeeping. Uh, that, that's not a marriage. That's scorekeeping. And that's what happens. We say, all right, you get five points because you cleaned the house while I was away this weekend, right? And then, uh, okay, you lost four because the grass wasn't mowed. All right, oh, now you gained two because you did take the dog out. And, and so what happens, all right, but you did let me go away, so I got your three back. And so what we do is we keep going back and forth with all these, all these points, right? Well, that's not love. Love doesn't keep score of how many times you had a night off last week. Love doesn't keep score of how many times the husband went fishing or hunting. Love doesn't keep score of how many times the wife went out with her girlfriends. Love does not keep score. Delight in evil. Just get happy whenever bad things happen to other people. Here's what love does, though. Love rejoices in truth. When there's truth, whenever we see the truth as one, we rejoice. Whenever we see that, that the truth of God is transforming somebody's life, we rejoice with truth. Love always trusts. That's a hard word, isn't it? Trust is hard. I, I like to analyze before I give my trust out, don't you? I, li- I want to know before I love that I will be received well, and I want to know that I can trust you. And God says here that love always trusts. Even if the analyzation isn't too good. You see, because when I'm analyzing, guess what I'm analyzing? I'm analyzing what I'm going to get. True love doesn't analyze what you're going to get. It's what you're giving. It always hopes. Do you know what hope is? Hope is seeing God's vision for that other person. You can see what God can do in this other person's life. Uh, Somebody in your family or in your business or in your church... Listen, this is, we see people and this is where the, the friction comes and, and these things are hard. So love hopes. It always has hope. Love says, man, they're not catching it, but I'm praying that they will catch it. And sometimes I may not be the best interacting right now, but I have to walk away because I know that what I'm seeing there is not what God is trying to draw in their life. And so I'm going to hope. I'm always going to love and watch God do that. Love never fails. It just doesn't fail. How about your life? How about your life? How are you walking with God? Do you understand what he did on the cross, that he paid for your sin, that he came back to life again? And are you willing to love those around you like that? Are you willing to love your neighbor like that? Are you willing to love like Jesus loved? Let's bow in prayer. As we close our service this morning we're getting ready for another baptism and we're excited about what God's doing in this young guy's life and and so as uh, as as we prepare for baptism now I want you to just take a few moments and respond to the Lord loving like Jesus we can't do it in our own power and it's really hard when we try to do it in our own power but God says You don't have to do it in your own power. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. And will you respond to him today? 
Will you ask God to help you love like that? Will you, first of all, start with his love, realize that God is patient and God is kind with you, and how can you love others in the same way? Father God, I pray you'll be with each person in this place, Lord. And with our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, if, if you're here and you say, Pastor Ken, I, I'd like to open my heart to God. I really do want to respond to his patience. He has been so patient with me. He's been so kind to go to the cross. Today, I want to open my heart. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to just pray along with me. Just repeat this after me to the Lord, but it's the attitude of your heart. You're reaching out to the Savior. And just pray something like this. Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and I've done wrong things. And I believe that you died on the cross. You paid for my sin. You came back to life again for me. And God, I accept your love right now. Thank you for loving me patiently and kindness. And for others in this room, maybe God's been speaking to you about how to, how to love other people in your church, in your community. This is how people will know that we are his by the way we love each other. Father God, be with your people as they respond to your word. In your name we pray. Amen.